the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Firing Line with Philip Naiman. The Firing Line radio show is brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside, the Riverside Indoor Shooting Range, CCW Safe, Cutting Edge Bullets, Prado Olympic Shooting Park in Chino, Vortex Optics, Vortex, the force of optics, and by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. Filling in for Philip Naiman this week is Rick Travis, Executive Director of the California Rifle and Pistol Association, on a Skype call. Good afternoon. This is Rick Travis with the Firing Line Radio Show. Your guest host filling in for Phil Naiman, my friend, my fellow patriot and combatant in the fight for your rights under the U.S. Constitution, namely the Second Amendment. This morning, I'm honored to have one of the greatest men in this state's history and its battle to fight for your Second Amendment rights, Mr. Sam Purtis of Gun Owners of California. Good afternoon, Sam. Good afternoon, Rick. It's a pleasure to be with you, man, and and, uh, a fellow combatant in arms for the fight to uh, restore and protect the Second Amendment here in California, man. Uh, it's an honor to be here with you. Thanks, Sam. You know, you and I discuss quite often, I think it'd be great for the listeners to hear part of our you know, discussion every year, you and I about this time play, I wonder what the governor's gonna sign. And then we, <laughs> we ask ourselves, could it get any worse? And uh, this year, at least from my side, yeah, it did. But what do you find to be the most egregious bill sitting on the governor's desk right now? Well, uh, goodness gracious. <laughs> oh, you know, that's like asking me if um, syphilis or gonorrhea or herpes are, 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 are worse, one worse than the other. And, and I guess to, to a matter of degrees, they are. But, um, you know, uh, gun rationing, one gun a month, uh, all of the the gun violence restraining orders that only affect law-abiding citizens and really will not do anything um, to prevent gun violence in the future. Uh, it, it's it's He's got a whole bunch of stuff on his desk, and it's all bad. It's all bad. Uh, you know, anything that chips away at, at our rights uh, at, uh, under the Constitution is, is terrible, and, and that's what we have. And we expect that he's going to sign everything you know he's he's just that kind of guy you know sam you brought up a, a point and i want to highlight it for the listeners you know normally we try to look for some creativity from you know the extreme left on this issue but it appeared to me that the vast majority of what we're facing the governor signing are things that are pre and i never thought i'd hear myself say this but our previous governor used a lot of common sense in vetoing year after year and it seems like people that had bills that had failed several sessions in a row brought those knowing that they would get a rubber stamp from this governor. That's absolutely correct. Um, you know, Jerry Brown, who was not a staunch supporter of the Second Amendment in any way, and as a matter of fact, um, it does not read the Constitution the way we do, Um but you're right. He, he used some level of common sense 
uh, in in uh, um, in his vetoes, and and when he vetoed something that either was redundant or uh, clearly ineffective, um, was just kind of a political statement, or was a arm wrestling match between a member of the legislature who was trying to take it out on one of his pro-Second Amendment sheriffs, he wisely vetoed those things. Um, you know, that's not to say that, that the stuff that he signed was good or okay. It wasn't. It was terrible. But he did use a little bit of common sense. And, and um, uh, we're not in that situation now. We're, we're in, a, in, in a bad situation with a governor who hates the Second Amendment, um, to that extent, hates the Constitution. And, and, and that's, that's where we are. We have to accept that and, and deal with that accordingly. So it's, it's a bad deal. You know, Sam, I know you get this all the time because you're out on the road as I am publicly speaking to people. I think we've both seen in the past year a lot more of the community asking, well, how do I stand up to the anti-community that has also gained a, a better foothold than it's had in years past? and is constantly pushing on us everywhere from ranges to gun shows, you know, to, to high school, youth programs, et cetera. And so I want to go back, circle back to this one bill about the one gun a month club, because that seems to be something that they love to bring up on the other side. And a lot of times right. our people don't feel comfortable with the idea, but they don't understand the impacts. And I'd like to go into that. Why is it so bad? I know, but I'm going to ask this rhetorically. Why is it so bad that we can only have one firearm a month? You know, it's, it is, for all intents and purposes, you cannot describe it as anything else but gun rationing. Therefore, rights rationing. Um, it is no business of the governor um, as to, to how many guns we want, how many guns we have. As long as we are obeying the law and and uh, uh, are good citizens and use those firearms for lawful purposes, it doesn't and shouldn't matter. People like to compare uh, owning multiple guns to like, well, then the government might say that we can't own multiple cars. Um, you know, why does anybody need two or three Porsches or two or three Ferraris or, or two or three Ford focuses that can all travel over 70 miles an hour, which is the legal speed limit anywhere in the state of California, and therefore they are capable of breaking the law. We need to limit people their ability to to have the implements to be able to break the law. Well, you know that's that's you want to make that argument. That's fine, but the fact of the matter is, the government is trying to ration guns under the guise of saying that, well, we will prevent straw purchases from buying multiple guns and giving it to their 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 criminal friends and criminal family members. Rick, you and I, yeah. you know, we've talked about this many times and we know it's it's laughable. Criminals are, are always going to be able to get guns. They don't buy them uh, from from stores. They steal them, they they borrow them, they buy them on the black market. Um, they can get guns anywhere in the country uh, within hours of, of, of being of going into any town anywhere in the, in America. A criminal can avail themselves of a firearm and ammunition. Uh, so it, it it is a 
it is a terrible thing that the people should be very afraid of that the government can ration their constitutional rights. Are they going to ration what words you say? How many words you say and how many times you, you voice an opinion? Are they going to ration how many times you go to church? You know, nobody should right. have to go to, to go to church more than four times a week. There are only four Sundays per week, and, and that's it. You can't go anymore. And people say, that's silly. It's, that's how silly gun rationing is. It is that silly. You know, and I think I think those are excellent points, Sam. I think one of the other things our listeners need to understand is when people try to make these arguments that you don't need to, to purchase more than one, I will give you, even from my own example, I've worked with youth organizations, as you know, for most of my adult life and teaching basic firearm safety. And, you know, one of the problems that's happening in the culture is when we were kids growing up, join a Boy Scout troop, a 4-H group, a FFA, which is Future Farmers of America, kind of a thing, or a JROTC, firearms training was an option, you know, that, that people could do because a lot of clubs, including local service clubs like Alliance or Elks Club would have some 22s, you know, and you would go to the local range and learn basic uh, marksmanship skills. Today, that is becoming problematic because those organizations, as you know, under California law, can't own firearms anymore. So those had to be redressed to individuals. A lot of those individuals move on. You know, the kids grow up and they, they go to do other things with their life. And, you know, if you want to go buy a half a dozen, you know, 22 single shot, very innocent firearms on the one firearm a month, you would have to wait six months to have enough to even start or maintain a program for 40 or 50 girls or boys belonging to any one of those groups. And you're absolutely I see correct. This. Yeah, you're putting you're putting meat on the bones there, buddy. Yeah, that's that your 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 explanation is something that can hit home for a, for a lot of people. And I didn't mean to interrupt you, but but you're getting me all excited here with 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 truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and that's that's frustrating because you know when you start to look at you know camp, summer camps and all the things, and whether it's a shotgun or uh, generally a 22 rifle. You're eliminating those options for those youth, and then you end up with, you know, in my mind, just in the, the scouts, you end up in a situation where those kids no longer have a frame of reference over their Second Amendment rights because you've literally banned their ability to learn. Get the nail on the head, man. You know, these, these are the kinds of arguments that, that, uh, that, that make sense to people. But, you know, you and I know um, tons of collectors. You know what 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 the media calls a a a cache of arms or an arsenal. You know we call modest collections. I know guys who collect 1911s and they have dozens of them. I know guys who collect Winchester 364 Model 70s and they have hundreds of them just to fill out their their collections. And 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 the public says, why does anybody need all of those guns? Well, because they want them. As long as they're not doing anything illegal with them, there's nothing wrong with that. And these laws would make um, it very difficult for collectors, uh, very difficult for youth pro training programs like you're discussing. Uh, we have more and more uh, youth trap shooting and sporting clay shooting and skeet shooting teams throughout the state of California. And many of these kids, especially in areas where they, uh, they're they not very wealthy, 
the the teams provide the the firearms, and they're going to be able unable to provide the firearms in order to encourage and introduce people into the competitive sports. Which, by the way, some of them lead to scholarships to four year universities and and um, and and to things like the Olympic Games. But uh, do you think that the legislators and the anti gunners care about that? Not one bit. Thank you very much, Sam, and we'll come back to you in a few. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside and the Riverside Indoor Shooting Range. Filling in for Philip Naiman this week is Rick Travis, Executive Director of the California Rifle and Pistol Association, on a Skype call. Welcome back to Firing Line Radio. If you're a regular listener of the Firing Line Radio Show, you know each week the conversation is about the latest in firearms, hunting, and the gun rights afforded all Americans under the Second Amendment of the United States Constitution. And you should know by now that Phil's faithful companion in the battle to uphold these rights has been and continues to be the Fine Line's longtime sponsor, Vince Torres, at Bullseye Sport Guns and Ammo in Riverside. If you're not armed for protection or recreation, then Bullseye Sport in Riverside is where you need to go for handguns, rifles, shotguns, ammo, accessories, and so much more. After you purchase that firearm, Vince, Philip, and myself highly recommend that you attend a certified firearm safety and training course, one that will teach you the basic knowledge, skills, and attitude essential to the safe and efficient use of your new firearm. For more information about their certified firearm courses, call Bullseye Sport in Riverside at 951-823-0211. Visit their website, bullseyesport.com, for a schedule of classes. Because at Bullseye Sport Guns and Ammo, they believe in safety first. That's 951-823-0211. Again, that's 951-823-0211. We're back with Sam Paredes of Gun Owners of California. And my name, again, is Rick Travis, Executive Director of the California Rifle Pistol Association. Sam, we were just discussing, you know, some of the most egregious bills are seen on the governor's desk. But many of those bills, as we know, will be signed by the governor, unfortunately, which brings the other half of what you and I do so much of, and that is to combine litigation efforts in fighting against these egregious attacks on our constitutional rights. And so I want to talk a little bit about how we work together. And uh, and then later on in the show, I'm going to bring in Chuck Michelle, who is the third part of this triad. And he will, of course, extend this conversation on the specific legal efforts that we're doing. But Sam? Rick, um, it is very important for for all of your listeners to know that, that, you know, so many people ask, well, why do we need multiple organizations, NRA and CRPA and Gun Owners California and, and other organizations out there, why can't we all just get together and do one group? Let me explain why it is so critically important that we have multiple players out there. Number one, we have different audiences. We reach, reach different people to get them engaged in the fight for the Second Amendment. That gives us the ability to fight in the legislature, in the elections, and now most importantly in the courts. And and that is the critical thing. Um, First of all, 
uh, Governors California and California Rifle and Pistol Association have partnered on on uh, amicus briefs uh, with nobody else, just us, to make an argument before the United States Supreme Court in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus the city of New York. A critical brief that I'm sure Chuck will talk about a little bit later. But it was it was important that we team together in order to make that uh, uh, submit that amicus brief, encouraging the court. Uh, rule to protect the Second Amendment. But there are dozens and dozens of lawsuits that we cooperate in. Sometimes CRPA and GOC work together to fund a particular uh, amicus brief. Sometimes um, we each use our financial resources that we have been blessed with by our contributors and members in order to fund multiple loss, uh, 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 friend of the court briefs. Uh, in, in our case, most recently, several of the, the, the most recent amicus briefs that we have filed, we, we collected a group of law enforcement voices throughout the country. Now, law enforcement groups, they raise money for retirement parties and things like that. They don't have money for lawsuits. But we were able to fund the amicus brief that brought the voice of law enforcement to the courts. And so we funded it. We're the only pro-gun organization on, on, on multiple briefs, along with a whole bunch of law enforcement groups, because it's important for the court to hear the law enforcement perspective when they're supporting the Second Amendment. That happens all the time. Sometimes uh, together or separately, we wrangle other state organizations uh, throughout the country uh, to, 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 to join together and, and to, to file a, a, a amicus curiae. That's a friend of the court brief in support or in opposition of, of, of lawsuits. Uh, so that is all important. And I think that Chuck will be able to tell you why it's so important in, 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 his, uh, in his segments, because we are on the precipice of achieving monumental victories in the courts. Keller versus Washington, D.C., Chicago versus uh, uh, McDonald versus Chicago, huge victories. But we are on the forefront now of, of gaining some victories that will guide how we restore the Second Amendment here in California and nationwide. And we will have a huge advantage if we do our job and we're able to convince the courts of, of uh, uh, you know, that, that our arguments are correct. So, um, Rick... CRP and GOC are, are partners, and it's important that we're, if we were one organization, we could only fund one brief. Right. If we were one organization, then we can only testify once before the legislature instead of multiple times. Um, if, if we were one organization, then, then we wouldn't have the ability to participate in elections the way we do. Together, uh, as separate groups, we achieve far greater goals than, than we could as, if, if we were one organization. That's why it's important important for us to fight together. I want, to, I want to touch on that for a moment because, like you, I get this all the time. And I want the listeners to understand something. What Sam has just explained is absolutely factual and true. We have different audiences. Um, some of our audiences cross over and belong to both organizations, and, and that's great. We thank those individuals. But there's two salient points I want to make. One is our opposition you know, the Bloombergs and Soroses of the world, make no mistake, they are the chief funders against people like Moms Demand Action, Mothers Against Guns, and the list goes on. 
and they're coordinating those efforts. And what happens is when we end up in anything from a city council area to a fairgrounds issue over you know shows all the way up to the courts, they pile in all these different names to show that it's a greater amount of the public. If we were to consolidate everybody into one two, pro 2A two group, it would be one voice against 15. But by us working together and coordinating, we're able to set up as many voices on our side of the subject and often more than they can on their side. And that's one of the reasons it's so important that we do that is because if we were to actually do what some have suggested in the Second Amendment community of consolidating a one, it would be one voice in any of those rooms versus a cacophony of voices on the opposition. Well said, Rick. The second point I want to make is this is a costly endeavor. And I know, Sam, you and I talk about this. And I know people in our community sometimes get a little apathetic, but you got to realize something. This is like the greatest football team of men and women that have come together to fight for your rights that are bruised up, beat up, and play in the mud on, on a, a junkyard field versus people that have had the best equipment and the most money. We are often outgunned and outnumbered in money you know, multiple times. I'm talking like 50 to 1. And yet, with the help of people like you listening to this radio, our members and people that just stop by and donate, no matter how big or small that donation, we use that very effectively. We're all very transparent with where our funding goes towards this litigation and legislative efforts. And when you start to look at the success rates that we'll talk about later on with some of the court cases in this show that we're winning, it's not just the fact that we have some of the most brilliant attorneys working for us on the planet. It's also the fact that we are being an opposition that has what seems like at times to us endless funding where they don't have to do all the fundraising because they have people that are multimillionaires, billionaires in a couple of cases, just writing checks. And Sam, I want to talk a little bit about our fundraising efforts that we jointly do across the state because... You know, this is a message that you and I have preached for years together, side by side. You can't run. You can't hide. You look at people that left California because they were done, went to Texas. Austin is becoming California. People went to Idaho. Boise is becoming California. It's following them. And those states are going through hell now because they weren't prepared like we've been. This isn't just a fight for California. It's a fight for the fabric of the nation. You're absolutely correct, Rick. I often say... What happens in California, we either affect or infect the rest of the country. And, and we have to wage the, the fight here. And for those people who listen who are not from California, we need your help um, in, in order to prevent the, the spread of this disease of, of uh, unconstitutionality and opposition to the Second Amendment. Thank you, Sam. And we'll be back in just a moment. Have questions about handgun safety, local sports shooting events, or your Second Amendment rights? Just ask Vince at Bullseye Sport in Riverside. Get practical advice. No sales pitch. Vince is a straight shooter when it comes to sharing his advice and years of gun experience. Whether you're a seasoned gun owner or a newcomer, at Bullseye Sport, they welcome everyone, especially ladies considering a firearm for the first time. When they go to our store, we want to give them something that they're going to feel comfortable with. And if you're looking to purchase a gun, ammo, or accessories... If we don't have it, we will get it for you. For all the answers to your rifle and handgun questions, just ask Vince at Bullseye Sport. 951-823-0211. 
Bullseye Sport in Riverside, proud sponsor of the Firing Line Gun Show, Saturdays at 1 p.m. on AM 590. Follow Bullseye Sport on Facebook for your inventory updates or call 951-823-0211. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the Firing Line is brought to you by CCW Safe by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. Filling in for Philip Naiman this week is Rick Travis, Executive Director of the California Rifle and Pistol Association, on a Skype call. This is Rick Travis with Firing Line Radio. I'm the Executive Director of the California Rifle Pistol Association. And this afternoon, it is my honor and pleasure to introduce you to one of my best friends and compatriots in this battle for the Second Amendment, Mr. Chuck Michelle of Michelle & Associates Law Firm. He is one of the top lawyers in the country and has been working on a joint project between the National Rifle Association and the California Rifle Pistol Association for literally decades. Chuck, welcome to the show. Thanks, Rick. It's good to be here. So, Chuck, let's talk you know, briefly about that joint project because a lot of people, when I'm out talking, I know you and I talk about this all the time, don't seem to understand that we don't live in a push-button litigation world where something goes wrong and you go up and say blah, 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 and it's all taken care of, that this actually takes time and energy and a lot of hard work. Well, that that you can say that again. I mean, people people thought after the Heller and McDonald cases came down out of the United States Supreme Court in 2008 and 2010 that they could basically just uh, staple the, the the opinion to their lawsuit and mail it in. I mean, it, it, nothing is further from the truth. The, the litigating Second Amendment uh, cases, challenges to gun control laws, continues to be a very heavy uh, litigation lift. You have to be an uh, excellent Second Amendment scholar, and you have to be, maybe most importantly, a really good writer. And the reality is, these this days, these days, there are not that many lawyers out there who are are capable of legal writing at that level, uh, where you're going to persuade uh, uh, judges that are on the margin. Some judges are already predetermined to rule against any Second Amendment challenge, and that's been really uh, sort of. Uh, demonstrated in the Ninth Circuit with some of the rulings that we've got out of the Ninth Circuit Court, absolutely hostile to, uh, overall, to the Second Amendment. Uh, that may be changing because the Trump administration has appointed a lot more just, new justice, judges to the Ninth Circuit, and it's it's going to be almost 50-50, but it used to be two-to-one liberal judges versus uh, conservative judges, or at least Democrat versus Republican presidential appointees. And so it was an uphill battle. Battle. The Ninth Circuit was ready to bend over intellectually backwards to uphold all kinds of gun control laws. They really twisted the ruling uh, on on the standard of review, which is the level of scrutiny that a that a law will get from the court, uh, and the amount of uh, evidence that a government has to put uh, put forward to justify an infringement on the Second Amendment. And the higher that level of scrutiny is, the more likely the law is going to be struck struck down. But the Ninth Circuit has really been uh, far too deferential to the government and some of the baloney that the government is, claims is justification for infringing on the Second Amendment. And hopefully uh, there's a case in the Supreme Court right now that hopefully will set that that bar uh, where it should be and, and, and give the Second Amendment back its teeth so that uh, some of these laws will be struck down. That's the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus the City of New York case, uh, which is an NRA-supported case that uh, NRA really deserves a lot of credit for 
for uh, getting to the Supreme Court. They, we've been trying to get a case back to the Supreme Court since 2010, and finally the Supreme Court took one now that Kennedy retired. Yeah, and that's a case as we uh, just got talking to both California Rifle Pistol Association, Gun Owners of California, and several other pro-2A groups have filed amicus briefs in support of that case and are fighting alongside the NRA and the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association. I think that's important that people realize this is a massive joint effort on this case going in front of the Supreme Court. Yeah, absolutely. You know, folks need to realize, ever since 2010, uh, when the McDonald decision came out, lots of different groups uh, at, at higher or lesser levels of confident, competence have been trying to get a case back to the Supreme Court. Unfortunately, some of these groups uh, really are using it more for fundraising than to file strategic lawsuits that make sense. Uh, people are very responsive to appeals for donations to support litigation, uh, and, and some folks have figured that out and are using slick social media campaigns to raise money for litigation, which really, I mean, they're choosing the litigation more for its fundraising appeal than for the strategic value of trying to get the second jurisprudence uh, built up again so that we can strike down a lot of laws. But that's what will be coming after the Supreme, we, ex we expect, uh, assuming the Supreme Court is going to rule in our favor. And we think they will because we've been trying to get a case, a Second Amendment case, to the Supreme Court for many, many years. The NRA board voted back in the 70s to try and get a Supreme Court, uh, a Second Amendment case in front of the Supreme Court. And our friends on that court were voting not to take those cases because they knew we didn't have five votes to win back then. Uh, and thankfully, because of some of the changes on the Supreme Court while the Heller case was pending, we got the five votes that we needed, um, but I don't. I, I, we don't think we would have had those had the court not changed uh, at, at, from the time that case was filed till the time that case was heard in the Supreme Court. But so now we've got that, those decisions, and and uh, for ten years the lower courts have been thumbing their nose really at the Supreme Court, and uh, and and the CRPA and the NRA have teamed up and and brought many cases to try and. Uh, get that standard of review, that level of scrutiny nailed down by the Supreme Court. Um, and I, I really, by the way, I ought to stop for a minute here and Rick and, and commend you and CRPA for all the great things. I mean, the CRPA is now a much bigger, better, leaner, meaner uh, fighting machine uh, than it was you know, about five years ago before you took over and I came on to help you out. Uh, and uh, really now it's the oldest, largest, and I think most effective and efficient uh, Second Amendment ad advocacy group in the state. So uh, it's it's been part of these battles all the way through. And assuming we get the ruling that we expect with the new Trump appointees on the Supreme Court, it could be a hard reset for Second Amendment litigation in California. And it really could give us an opportunity to go after a lot of bad gun laws, um, even more so than we're doing right now, because we have an awful lot of them in court right now. Thank you so much, Chuck, for that. And I want to kind of steer this towards a recent win that we all celebrated back in March, the last couple of days of March and first few days of April that we have affectionately called Freedom Week. And the reason I want to bring that up is because I try to use these opportunities to teach people the proper language. And that proper language was that allowed all of us as Californians to buy standard capacity magazines instead of what I like to call the government magazine, which only holds 10 rounds, but we were able to buy the standard capacity magazines for that week. Can we talk a little bit more about that particular case? Sure. That's the Duncan case, uh, and CRPA is also a plaintiff in that case. 
uh, down in San Diego. NRA, NRA and CRPA have been NRA and CRPA have been litigating cases together in California for 20 years, uh, long before uh, the Heller and McDonald rulings. Uh, and and really, with the assets that the NRA brings from its national team of of experts and scholars and and uh, tech, technical experts and uh, uh, and lawyers, Second Amendment lawyers, uh, we've really had a, a, a great uh, resource base to tap into over those years. But we really only got the Second Amendment as a as a tool in our tool belt after Heller and McDonald came down, and we brought so we brought a Second Amendment challenge. Remember, Gavin Newsom passed. About uh, uh, 20 years ago, the California legislature passed a ban on importing or buying magazines that could hold over 10 rounds, but it grandfathered in the possession of those magazines if people already had them. And we knew, we, we told them at the time, you're just biding your time, you're waiting for an opportunity to ban the possession. This is the standard operating procedure for these bureaucrats. They say, oh, this will fix the problem. We say, no, it won't fix the problem. We know you're just taking a step towards a further uh, uh, restriction. They say, no, 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 we're just going to stop here. And then when, and we say, well, it won't work. And they say, sure, it will. And then when it doesn't work, they say, well, it didn't work because we didn't go far enough. So now we have to take the next step. And that's what Gavin Newsom did. He banned the possession of magazines that hold over 10 rounds for anyone through Prop 63 that he used as his stepping stone to the governor's office. And when that initiative was passed, we filed the lawsuit in San Diego, the Duncan case, challenging both the, ban, the new ban on possession and the old ban on importation and purchases. And, uh, and the judge struck down, we got a great judge who actually has a, a family from Cuba and he's seen, so he's seen, they lived through the, the Cuban Revolution. He's seen ter- tyranny up close and personal. He, he gets it. And uh, he said, hey, both of these are unconstitutional Second Amendment violations, both the possession ban and the importation ban. And he issued an injunction that was in place for a week, which we now are lovingly referring to as Freedom Week, because during that week, uh, over a million magazines were brought into the country purchased legally and are now possessed by uh, law-abiding, freedom-loving gun owners who now finally have these self-defense tools, uh, which they've been unable to get for 20 years. So there was obviously a big pent-up demand. Chuck, I'm going to stop you there, and we'll be back in just a few minutes with you here on Firing Line Radio to continue the talk with Chuck Michelle, attorney for the National Rifle Association, California Rifle Pistol Association, as well as our president. We'll be back in a moment. Hi folks, Philip Naiman from Firing Line Radio Show. If you're a concealed handgun carrier or have a firearm to defend your home and are forced to use your weapon for self-defense or the protection of a loved one, you'll be glad to have CCW Safe on your side. CCW Safe provides and pays 100% upfront defense funds for high-quality attorneys, expert witnesses, and the investigators you need following a critical incident with no reimbursement. And they do it all for one flat yearly fee starting at $179 a year. CCW Safe has permit and non-permit plans to protect California residents in this state and while traveling across the country. So check out their new ultimate plan with no caps on criminal and civil defense, $1 million for bond coverage, a dedicated $1 million for civil liability, and many other benefits. You defend your life. CCW Safe will defend your freedom and financial future. In California, CCW Safe has got you covered. So join now at CCWSafe.com. AM 590, the answer. 
This portion of the Firing Line is brought to you by Prado Olympic Shooting Park in Chino and Vortex Optics. Vortex, the force of optics. Filling in for Philip Naiman this week is Rick Travis, Executive Director of the California Rifle and Pistol Association, on a Skype call. This is Rick Travis, back with Firing Line Radio. I'm the Executive Director of the California Rifle and Pistol Association, filling in with my friend and fellow compatriot, Phil Naiman, who is out this afternoon. And with me here is Chuck Michelle, the president of the California Rifle Pistol Association, and more importantly, the lawyer for the National Rifle Association out here on the West Coast. And we've been talking about the Duncan case that brought you Freedom Week, allowed you as a law-abiding citizen in the state of California to be able to purchase the standard capacity magazine, which was a magazine designed to go with the firearm that you have purchased. Chuck, let's finish that up and then talk about an other famous case that we have an Olympian involved in. Sure. Yeah. Let's let's just revel in the in the in the wonderful ruling that we got in that Duncan case uh, from the San Diego District Court judge. Uh, it, it reads like a uh, like a uh, like a uh, like a testament to the Second Amendment. I strongly encourage people to uh, to look it up. Uh, Duncan v. Becerra, and and read that opinion. It's it's really like a like a history lesson on the Second Amendment and how it, how the Second Amendment should work. But as a result of that, uh, we had a buying frenzy. Obviously, there was a great deal of pent up demand among law abiding gun owners to have these standard capacity magazines. Uh, and uh, during that week, California essentially cleaned out the inventory all across the country, and it was all diverted to to satisfy the demand in California for that week. Now the injunction on importing bans is importing the magazines is back in effect until the Ninth Circuit rules, but the ban on possessing these magazines is still enjoined, in other words, blocked. So that law is frozen. That law is not in effect, and but the uh, ban on importation is in effect until the, uh, the Ninth, Ninth Circuit rules, and we just filed a number of important briefs in that case in the last uh, week or so. And thankfully, now that we have a, a little bit different uh, uh, Ninth Circuit, the composition of the Ninth Circuit has gotten a little more conservative, we're hopeful that we'll actually be able to uh, show those those judges at the Ninth Circuit that that, uh, that we were right, that the, the district court is judge is right. And in the meantime, the, uh, the New York City case ruling may come down from the Supreme Court and and confirm that we're, we're right and that the district court was right. So that's that's one of our highest profile cases, but we have a lot of others. Folks should look at the CRPA magazine for the uh, court report, and they can see them all. The other one, though, that we should really focus on is the Rohde case. This is Kim Rohde, who we all should know and love, uh, Olympic gold medalist. How many does she have now? She has six, and if she wins, which I know she will in Tokyo, she'll be the all-time greatest Olympian in world history with meddling in seven straight Olympiads. And this is for shooting, guys. So, yes, we love her. Uh, she's been on the cover of the firing line, and she is the uh, magazine, and the and she is the lead plaintiff in the uh, the, the Rody case against Rody v. v-, v- against the new and ridiculous uh, restrictions on ammo purchases that ha- make you get a background check, pass a background check before you can buy ammunition. And the problem is all the state's databases are so so messed up. Uh, there's like a 40% margin of error in the registered firearm database. 
there's like a 30% margin of error in the criminal history databases that the state has. And so when you're trying to compare one data, one flawed database with another flawed database, it's inevitable that you're going to have inappropriate rejections and something between 10 and 20% of all attempts to buy ammo are being rejected. And so people are now, here's the ironic thing, some people are being told the easiest way to buy ammunition is to buy a gun so that you get the gun into the database with the right address and then you can submit that address when you go to purchase ammunition. So I wonder what Gavin Newsom would think about that uh, because he also pushed the ammo background check law as part of Prop 63. But that's just been argued. Uh, we have a preliminary hearing motion pending in San Diego on that one, but we're looking for people who have had problems with ammo purchases so that we can put together declarations of more evidence. The court wants us to really put paper the file, so to speak, put in more evidence about the problems that we're having. So if folks have had those problems, and especially sellers, re re retailers, if you've had problems, send us an email at amosnafu at michellelawyers.com. That's amosnafu at M-I-C-H-E-L-L-A-W-Y-E-R-S.com. Uh, and, 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 and folks, if folks can support these litigate, this, these two cases and other cases, that would be, you know, very helpful. We offer very significantly reduced fees on these attorney's fees because we're not just advocates, we're, we're, we're believers in, in the, in the Second Amendment cause. And CRPA has some of the tightest financial controls, uh, probably more, uh, more, uh, uh, watched over than uh, any other group. Uh, it's very easy, as I said earlier, to do a social media campaign and raise money and then not be held accountable for where it goes. And uh, I'm afraid a lot of these groups out there uh, have, have really set up sort of a, uh, a, a system where they can take advantage of that and not spend uh, as much as they should be spending on the actual cause. And some of it goes into the promoter's pockets. So it's a little hey, bit Chuck, of a problem. I, I want to stop yeah. you for a second. I, I want to dial back a little bit. You know, you were talking about what you and your attorneys do at a, an extremely reduced rate. And I know because I see that rate compared to other law firms that a lot of us have to deal with in our businesses and personal lives. But one of the things I want to make really clear, you know, is before I came to work for the CRPA, I was in the medical profession for years. And one of the things that I understood was, you know, a lot of times when we had lawsuits and somebody was suing somebody that was working in the group, we would have to wait till 10 o'clock, sometimes 11 o'clock in the morning for the, you know, the lawyer to roll in from whatever they had done that morning, had to have that meeting done before three o'clock in the afternoon because they were rolling out to do something else. And one of the things I want the listeners to know is I had personally talked to attorneys as early as 4.30 in the morning prepping for cases, defending all of our rights, and I've talked to them well after midnight. Your people, your staff are some of the most amazing individuals because not only are they lawyers, they are 1,000% into this movement and give to the point of sometimes I wonder how they're not in the hospital from the amount of hours they go without sleep, often missing meals to make sure that Californians' rights are taken care of. You lead that group. I know sometimes I think you're a vampire with the hours you keep, but it is amazing how much your people and your staff do. And I want people to know that. Well, I appreciate that, Rick. Yeah, my, my staff, I have the, some of the greatest lawyers, Second Amendment lawyers in the country on staff, and they all believe in the cause. They've all seen how uh, the government can twist the facts, and the politicians can twist the facts, twist the law 
to try and justify some infringement, which is really all part of a larger agenda to eliminate the gun culture. That's what this is really all about. That's why the, the win that we just got in the gun show case down in Del Mar was so wonderful, because it really sets them back on their heels. It's not just the Second Amendment that's under attack. It's anyone who's using their First Amendment rights to talk about the Second Amendment that's under attack as well. And that's why they want to ban gun shows, gun ranges, gun stores. They want to make it as expensive and as difficult and as, as much red tape as possible to choose to own a gun to defend your family or to just go have fun at the range, you know, shooting. Uh, they don't want people to discover how much fun shooting a gun can be and discipline and uh, 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 other uh, uh, things that it can teach folks uh, when they, they, they get into that. And all my lawyers appreciate that. They're shooters, they're trainers, as well as being advocates. So uh, it's our pleasure to be, to be working on these cases. And uh, um, I just hope people will support our efforts, recognize that we're, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're, at, we're the tip. The Second Amendment's the tip of the spear in civil rights and constitutional rights. And, and my firm and the NRA and the CRPA and GOC are all working together to, uh, to, to protect those rights. Chuck, I want to thank you for being on today. And I want to tell the listeners, you can support our efforts by going to crpa.org and make a donation to help us continue to fight your rights. I want to welcome Phil Naiman back next week and thank him for allowing us to be on the show and guest host for him because he is one of the most amazing people you will find in this movement, fighting for your rights along our side every single day of the year. Thank you for all you do. And remember, be safe, shoot straight, and fight back for your rights. Shoot, Felipe, shoot! When you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. The Firing Line Radio Show has been brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside. The Riverside Indoor Shooting Range, CCW Safe, Cutting Edge Bullets, Prado Olympic Shooting Park in Chino, Vortex Optics, Vortex, the force of optics, and by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.